Yeah. All right. Well, I just imagined to myself a room full of people bustling about and greeting one another and everything. And uh, so now I'm just imagining that coming to a natural lull and then me coming up and beginning to speak. But uh, for those of you who don't know me, uh, my name is Tim Aislinger, and I am uh, officially now part of Matthew's Christian Church, which I'm super excited about. And I'm uh, coming on board as the uh, Director of Missional Community uh, Mobilization and Multiplication. Don't worry, you don't have to remember that. Um, it's a long name, but it does explain uh, part of the reason that uh, I do believe God has brought me here. And uh, this morning, even though it is kind of an introduction to me, because it's it's one of the first times that uh, many of you are, are hearing from me and uh, getting the chance to uh, speak with you, um, this morning's not really about an introduction about me. Um, some of that will be in there, um, but really it, it is going to have some to do with why I believe God has called me here and, and brought me here. Um, but without uh, further ado, let's uh, let's stop and let's pray together. Father, I thank you for your love. Thank you for your great love. this time. 
the Spirit, His provision, and different um, ways of confirmation. Um, we knew that we were coming here. We were anticipating coming here. I was looking forward to coming here, and yet here I am, and things are not exactly how I pictured or what I expected them to be. To be honest with you, I had expected things to maybe, if I were planning them out, they would have worked out a different way. Um, you see, I wasn't planning on um, standing here and preaching in front of you guys uh, right off the bat because that's something that makes me incredibly nervous and uh, not one of the ways that God has naturally gifted me. Uh, but yet, here I am. And I was also anticipating that um, uh, we would have sold our house and have moved into a house and we would be getting settled in and yet um, I praise God for his provision in selling our house very quickly and um, yet I'm still moving things out of the house that we lived in um, even late last night and began preparation uh, for this message um, a lot later than uh, I care to admit around 10 o'clock uh, before things started coming down on paper and uh, Slept in someone else's home, took a shower in someone else's shower, and drove someone else's truck uh, here this morning. So, not exactly what I expected, but so much about this is what I expected. And there's nothing wrong with having expectations. As a matter of fact, um, we picture how things could be as a part of the vision that God has given us. And when we're, we're drawing that vision from His Word, uh, then I think it is important to picture some of the things that are going to be part of it. I knew I'd come to Matthew's table. I knew I would be uh, relocating to the Cleveland area, meeting so many of you, uh, which I can't wait to do in person. I, I knew these things would happen, and I knew that God would have us joining in together and, and joining in on this mission of reaching uh, the Cleveland and Bradley County area together. And um, you know, so this morning... Uh, I hope what we're going to do a little bit of is not so much talk about the vision of Matthew's Table Church, although I think we will brush on some of that um, as we go. But I want to make this incredibly personal for you. I want this to be something that is both personal, that you uh, that you think about and consider in your own life and your family's life, um, just like I have with myself and my family, and then collectively, that this is something uh, that we think of as a collective vision, that we look at God's word and we say, okay, we can say with confidence um, that this vision is one that we want to, not, not the name of Matthew's table, but that we as individuals and as families and as a family together, we want to strive forward through God's leading to realize this vision and have it come become a reality. So this morning, if you would, go ahead and turn to Matthew uh, chapter 9, verses 35 through 38. And that's where we're going to spend uh, the majority of our time this morning. If you want to go ahead and turn there. Um, I will be drawing from some other areas uh, from Matthew later on, but we're going to uh, spend most of our time there. I'm going to read through, and I encourage you to read through with me. Starting with verse 35, And Jesus went throughout all the cities and villages, teaching in their synagogues, and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom, and healing every disease and every affliction. When he saw the crowds, he had compassion for them, because they were harassed and helpless, like sheep without 
by shepherd. Then he said to his disciples, The harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore, pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. So the very first thing I want to draw our attention to this morning uh, would, would be what we see the actual action which Jesus demonstrates for us right here in the beginning of uh, verse 35. See, it says, Jesus went throughout all the cities and villages. So I want you to, to notice something about that. Our first point here is looking at the fact that Jesus went, and then we want to take that and say uh, that, that because Jesus went, we must go. Now, the thing that I think is significant about Jesus went here in this context is that he took an action with a purpose. Uh, he didn't just happen to be in the cities and the villages, and he didn't just happen to be passing through and decide that he was going to uh, take some opportunities along the way. You know, one of the things that we uh, talk about quite a bit, and I've said this before, and I really appreciate this, uh, uh, is when we talk about the Great Commission, a lot of times we're really quick to point out that you know, translation and the meaning of go therefore and make disciples can also be taken as you go therefore and making disciples. And as much as I'd love to talk about the as you go part of making disciples, and I, I'd love to equip for that, and I 100% believe that it's an extremely important part of every disciple's life, in my life uh, uh, also. I also know that in some cases we're so quick to add that as you go part. Not because we want to be more thorough or more comprehensive about the Great Commission, Great Commission uh, that he's called us to, but that's a way that we can actually make it a lot less inconvenient and a lot less disruptive uh, alternative to him telling us to go. See, that way, if we add in the as-you-go part, we have this opportunity where we can sort of carry on with what it was that we were going to do anything, anyway, the reasons that we were living our life any, anyway, and the things that we were going to pursue, and we can sort of add in, as the opportunity arises, um, any kind of little chance that we can to put in a good word for making disciples, or to um, mention the name of Jesus, and I, I guess if you, if you want to be real honest, um, sometimes with the best of intentions, it can become um, just something where we can kind of squeeze in some obligatory disciple things into uh, the life that we're going to live anyway. And what you see here with Jesus is not that. Jesus uh, had a mission set before him. And many times in the book of Matthew, you see Matthew describe Jesus' ministry like this. It says Jesus was going through the towns and the cities. So Jesus is taking this initiative, and he's entering into these places because he's taking this message to the people that need to hear uh, this message. So Jesus has this this intentionality, and he's he's going forth. And then you'll notice because it says he was preaching and teaching and demonstrating. Those are things that just are going to happen because Jesus happened to be uh, handling some other business as he was going through town. You see, he had to actually, with words, proclaim the truth of the kingdom, and and he did so for all who were here. And then whenever someone would lend an ear, he would take time to actually teach and expound and say, and say, because the king 
really don't have this like this. And because uh, of this truth I'm proclaiming, then when these things are true about what it means to live life, and we, this is what it looks like to work, be worked out uh, within what you do. And then uh, the demonstration of the kingdom. Wherever Jesus went, he was taking the opportunity, and it wasn't just a demonstration of his power for him to prove that he was who he said he was, although it was that. It, it, was, it was the opportunity for Jesus to show that the kingdom of God, the kingdom of heaven, is a reverse of the curse of sin. So where there was sickness, where there was affliction, those things became removed as evidence of, of this kingdom that was being proclaimed. And so uh, the same holds true now. We have these opportunities to show that the injustice that uh, we experience and, and the brokenness that is of this world, we can bring healing and we can bring wholeness to those things as ways of demonstrating the kingdom. But, you know, sometimes because we want to be good demonstrations of the kingdom, we can focus all of our attention on making sure that, that we're we're doing the demonstrating, that we're, we're showing the kingdom, which is super important. But sometimes we'll fail to actually proclaim the truth and, and actually herald that, that the kingdom of God is found in the person of Jesus Christ. And that we would tell the people with our voices, not just our actions, uh, the truth that we have, the reason for the truth that we know. And, and so um, as, we're, as we're going through all of this, we have to, we have to do both. Uh, we're taking, uh, we're being super intentional and we're both taking opportunities to, to proclaim and to demonstrate, but we're also making opportunities to proclaim and demonstrate. That means we're reorienting a part of our life, a part of what we're doing together, to go out of our way to make these things known. Uh, so it's not just as you go, and it's not just going. To, it really is both. I think we see that in Jesus. And in his context, it's with all the cities and with all the and I hear that and I think to myself in our context right now, as I'm getting to know the Cleveland area and been looking at houses and going around, I'm thinking, you know, uh, this, this means we're taking this message and this kingdom into all the neighborhoods, into all the apartment complexes, into the gated communities, into the historic district, into Black Oldfield, into uh, housing projects, into all of these different spheres schools and the playgrounds and, and the places where the people are, we're, we're looking at this city and we're thinking to ourselves, if, if we're going to make this message known to all the city and all the village, as it were, how would we go about doing that and with what type of intentionality? And that's why the vision of Matthew's table, uh, to have uh, sort of one MC for every 1,000 people in Bradley County, that's why it's such an important vision. Because it's the way that we can be intentional about actually pursuing this. And, and to, to say that we're going to have one group of people, one group of Jesus-loving disciples who are going to make themselves embedded into and going into a pocket of people for the sake of proclaiming and teaching and demonstrating the, the kingdom as they're living out their gospel identities and inviting other people into that, this, this is the... This is the way that we're going to decide that we're going to be intentional about doing that together uh, and not just being faithful 
of our own personal mission fields uh, in the places where we work and the neighborhoods in which we live and um, just all the spheres where God naturally has us as individuals. But this is how we're calling one another to say, hey, we're going to be serious about this together. We're, we're going into Cleveland, we're going into Bradley County, and we're going to take this message just as Jesus went and he uh, did so. The very next thing that we see, uh, the, the next action we see Jesus taking referred to is that um, Jesus saw. So it said that, and Jesus went throughout all the cities and villages, teaching in their synagogues and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom and healing every disease and affliction. And when he saw the crowds, he had compassion for them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. And guys, this is, this is a very important thing because uh, it wasn't the fact that he just saw them and so he was aware of them uh, because they were they were visible. Um, it was the fact that when he saw them, he saw into their lives. He saw into who they were. He saw into what it meant to be them and to, uh, to exist in their story. And he saw that and he was moved by that. There was, there was a, a compassion uh, that came with that. And so uh, he could see them and he was moved in response. It mattered to him what they looked like, uh, what, what they were going through. Um, he even goes on to, because of what he saw, it led him to describe what it was like to be them, like being sheep without a shepherd, like being uh, harassed. He's not blaming them. Instead, he's compelled to respond. That he has this desire for their circumstance to change. Um, so there's an empathy to that. It's a it's a joining in uh, the experience and the plight that happened just because he's seeing them go through what they're going through and seeing them for who they are. Uh, it's actually as if we see Jesus demonstrate something for us. That's something super important for us to pursue as we as we answer the call to love people. Um, if we're actually going to say that we love our neighbors, uh, then we're going to need to be pleading to God for this type of compassion. And what I look at the compassion Jesus has right here, one of the things I see is that it, it's like he becomes a companion with them in the burden that they are experiencing. He sees where they are, he sees what, what they're going through, and he knows that something has to change. Someone uh, he needs to and others need to actually move into um, what that uh, occurrence is, and they need to be relieved from that state. And so um, we, we all can kind of understand um, examples of why there's a difference between knowing about something and knowing someone who's going through stuff. Let me give you a couple of examples. Um, so from our headlines today, uh, we can look at the differences between knowing that there are people out there who uh, are suffering and uh, knowing people who are, I'm sorry, Let's rewind that for a second. Uh, so when we're looking at the differences between just knowing about something and actually knowing
dating someone. We know that there's a difference between that, but I think we can break it down and nuance it a little bit so that we can understand it a little better. Uh, you see, there's a difference between knowing that there are people out there suffering and knowing the people who are out there suffering and then knowing the suffering of a person. And each one of those has a different degree of emotionality that goes with it. And so uh, just from our headlines today, you know, let's take COVID-19, for example. Knowing the number of COVID infections and death in an area is important. That elicits the response. We have the awareness. Uh, it, it brings us to a place. Knowing someone or someone who's related to someone who is sick or who has passed away changes that. It makes it a little bit more real. It makes you a little bit more uh, aware in your life. Knowing that your loved one is suffering because you hear it in the next room or see them as they are struggling and grasping for breath or losing them altogether changes it completely. We see things on social media. Everyone has different opinions. Uh, everyone wants to share about their, their facts and their opinions. And then occasionally you come across someone and their tone is different. And maybe it's because these issues get closer to home for them than it does someone else. Another example, um, racism and injustice. You know, we're hearing these things in the headlines, um, so let's talk about them now. Uh, it's one thing to know that they're real and they exist. It's another to know that racism and injustice is uh, a reality experienced at both the individual and the systemic level because you know someone who's experienced it. And it's a completely different thing to know the pain of these things because they're being expressed in the tears or the fears of someone that you love or for you to be that person who has been made to feel like you were less of a person. Shapes your life and it shapes the way you see yourself and it shapes everything around you. You speak with a different type of feeling about the subject because there's a different familiarity. When it comes to knowing people, to seeing them and being moved with compassion, there's a difference between a stranger, an acquaintance, and a friend. And as we move from just knowing that there are lost people out there that need the love of Jesus to knowing that there's someone out there who's going through suffering and brokenness and is far from Jesus named Bill to knowing that Bill and sharing with you how he has been riddled with guilt and shame how he knows he can never come before God because of the things that he's done he can never be accepted by to see that this person is harassed and believing these lies just completely changes the way that you, you see uh, these needs. You see, we have to see people and we have to be moved to feel their need. And, you know, you've probably heard this before and it's a great prayer for us to practice that we would see people how God sees them. Maybe you've prayed this before, and I, I, I urge you to continue to do so, but you pray, God, give me eyes to see people 
use solution. Well, recently, I heard uh, just a slight nuance, a slight variation on that, and it actually caused me to pause. And the person was praying and said, Father, give me eyes to see these people like my own children. And it took me off guard. See, the fact of the matter is, the way God sees us, we all know that God sees us like his children. But changing that and making it personal to where you're asking God to, to see people like your own children allowed you to know a little bit more of what it must feel like for God to look down on his people and, and for Jesus in this circumstance to look out there and see these people being harassed by the sheep without a shepherd. So there, there's a big difference. And so we shouldn't have our goal uh, simply be to have uh, proximity uh, to people for visibility or even to uh, be aware so you care or anything like that. Um, but we have this great desire that we're pursuing for discipleship together uh, where we're really pursuing life on life, life in community, and life on mission. And even with that, there has to be this desire for like skin in the game type of relationship. Because we can we can say we're desiring those things and yet if we're not uh, really pushing into that and having relationships that are marked with a growing compassion for one another and a growing compassion for those whom we're trying to reach, uh, then I'm afraid we're not going to uh, be able to love with the type of love that we see Jesus demonstrating here. And I don't want to just know things about you or just know you. I, I want to learn and get to know what it's like to be you. I want to I want to hear your story and to share the experience of your story with you. I want you to hear my story and where God's brought me through, and for you to understand more what it's like to be me and my story. Because in those things, we can guide each other into the truth of God's story that we're all trying to grow and actually living into and being a part of. And so. Me inviting you into my story is all about uh, us actually growing in this life-on-life type of venture that we're pursuing in this life and community. And when we're practicing that type of vulnerability and that type of skin in the game with each other, then we have something to take to those outside that we're, we're looking to meet in our mission field. Because um, truthfully, there uh, we can be around people all the time and still not really know them. We can spend time with people, even good friends, and still be crushed with loneliness. That happens far too often. Even in churches, sometimes especially in churches, honestly. And if that's true, then what about the rest of the world? See, there's an epidemic of loneliness in our world. And the world out there that's hurting right now is convinced themselves, that their only hope is to try to find some way to wedge themselves in wherever it is that they're supposed to be. They don't know where that is. They just know where they are is at that place. And the only thing that we have to truly combat that with is what Jesus shows us right now. Jesus shows us to combat that with compassion. So, so when we're seeing uh, people with compassion, and compassion isn't others focus. It's, it's starting with someone else's situation, and it's moving us to respond. Um, it's 
lifelong life, lifelong community, and lifelong mission has to really be approached with us having uh, this desire for deep connection with each other's stories and for connecting those stories with the true story that's God's story. Uh, and when we're uh, doing that, we're connecting those stories with, with true compassion. So then, uh, we're, let's just be honest, we're not capable of the kind of compassion that Jesus had. Uh, you know, he, he simply looked out at these people, and uh, we, can't, we can't just look out at people and be moved this way. Because we can't know the way that he did uh, and does. We don't know what it's like to be them, and we don't have the deep love for them in the way that Jesus did. So I, I, I really believe that that's why, even as we desire to take steps to grow in our compassion for others. Uh, we must first take the steps of uh, calling out and reliance to the one um, who by compassion stirs our hearts with compassion. So that's the next thing we see Jesus doing is that um, Jesus is going to, going to respond this way. When he saw the crowds, he had compassion for them because they were harassed and helpless, like sheep without a shepherd. Then he said to his disciples, The harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore, pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. So we see this, and hopefully by this point we're starting to kind of realize that if we're really serious about taking this, this mission on and going into all the, all the parts of the city and all the parts of the county, and we're really talking about not just like going really broad and thin, but but going out to all the places and then going deep with people in real relationships and actually uh, being moved with compassion to bring that truth to them. But that's that's pretty overwhelming, right? And so it seems natural for us to know, okay, so Jesus is going to lead us to pray. That makes sense. We need to. We're going to need some prayer for this. But what's interesting. Isn't that he's calling us to pray? Because that kind of seems obvious. But it's what it is that he's uh, calling us to pray for, or, or maybe more specifically, first, what he's not calling us to pray for. Uh, so the very first thing that he's calling his disciples to pray for, he's not telling them to pray for opportunities uh, for them to be able to go out, and uh, he, he's not telling them uh, that that they need to go get to work right now. Uh, and he's not um, telling them to pray for a strategy. He's, um, he's calling them and telling them that they need to be praying for workers to be sent out. Yeah, this is interesting. So when it comes to us um, and how we're going to have to pray to God, we do need to pray for him to give us some opportunities, right? We're also going to need to Pray for him for our MC leaders, our leadership collective, elders, pastor, um, the new guy with the long title. What's his name? The missional community. What, what's it? Um, we're going to need to pray for all of those things, uh, and we're going to need to pray for the hearts and the ears of the lost to be open and ready to hear the gospel. So yes and amen to all of those prayers, and I ask you to continue praying those. But notice at this point. What he's telling them to pray for is to pray for workers to be sent out. And then you have what is perhaps the most key word in all of it. He says, therefore, pray 
Testament there means with sincere and intense conviction. Seriously. Means pray for it like you mean it. Like this is a prayer of importance. This this has to happen, Lord. Hear our cries. There, there's nothing. What you're asking us to do, this is not happening unless you answer this prayer. We're coming back to this prayer over and over and over again because we want to be faithful. We want to do what you're calling us to do. And we know the only way to do it is if we're praying this prayer right here that you would raise up workers to go out into the field. So what does that mean? I think honestly, before we even begin to start praying that kind of prayer, God uses the fact that we're we're starting to go and try to go and starting to see crowds and starting to see the people for who they are and be moved with compassion before we ever will start praying that prayer with earnestness, before we ever are stirred up uh, to have that reality of, of what God is asking for us to do and the great need and the, the great opportunity that there is for us to, to actually pray that prayer. And, you know, this is one of the reasons that things like prayer walks can be such a powerful thing. Uh, getting together and walking through an area that you're praying for uh, not only is going to the place, uh, but it's also stirring up within you the reality of, of the people there and informing your prayers and informing your mission and giving uh, these opportunities. Because I really believe that in our weakness of flesh, um, that those things are, are definitely necessary in order for us just to begin praying in a way that can be described as earnest. And, and we see something interesting here. After the disciples are told to pray this prayer, that right after that, in chapter 10, we see that the disciples are becoming the first answer to their own prayers. And so we have this brief account of Jesus empowering them for what he's going to ask them to do. A quick rundown of their names so that we remember who they are, and that outside of Jesus, they've got nothing to bring to the table. Um, they don't have training or skills for the task at hand. They get some instructions, they get a warning of the difficulty, and they get the call to not be afraid, and a word about the rewards involved concerning their work. And boom, just like that, Jesus sends out an MC with a common mission, the lost sheep of the house of Israel. So remember that name, it's got a great ring to it. We might start putting the lost sheep up in front of every MC. I'm joking, but uh, not a horrible idea. But don't miss the simple fact that Jesus told them to pray for workers to be sent out, and it did not mean other workers instead of them. Even though it certainly meant more workers than them, the earnest prayer for workers to be sent out includes all of us includes all of us. If we're going to pray that kind of prayer with earnestly, there has to be a willingness on our, our behalf to say, including me, Lord, including me. Stir me up. Send me out. Give me what I cannot do alone. Uh, because it's not our default setting. Uh, the Lord knows that without, without us earnestly crying out and Him sending us, chances are we're not going to go. Uh, I mean, our default setting isn't going to be to just decide, yeah, I've got a lot of things going on in my life, but I'm just going to lay all of that aside and shift my focus to this group of people over here. Plus, I feel really confident that I'm the man or the woman for the job. And besides that, 
I bet it will be easy. That's just not going to happen. <laughs> and so, uh, the natural course of us living our lives is not going to result in that. We have to get to this place of earnest prayer for God to send out workers before we'll even consider that we might be uh, the workers to be sent out. So, praying that type of prayer, meaning you, that might mean, um, it's going to mean a lot of things when we're talking about uh, asking God to send out workers. That, that doesn't just mean that we're asking God to send the type of people to Matthew's table who would go out or who would believe in going out, although it could mean that, and let's, let's, let's pray that for God to continue to send and build our body for ways uh, that he he wants us uh, to be led to go. Uh, but this prayer mean, could mean you or someone in your fight club or someone in your MC that's actually moved by God to take ownership of the call uh, to have to launch a new MC with a new common mission. Uh, this prayer means that maybe if you're watching online and you get to really get connected uh, with Matthew's table or with an MC or just in any way whatsoever, it might mean that the Lord is moving you right now uh, to take that step of, of becoming a part of what he's doing here at Matthew's table to pursue that mission. And, uh, you know, maybe maybe this prayer means that several local churches with a shared view of the gospel and the same types of statements of faith and a desire to reach this city and county with the good news of Jesus, maybe it means that that they're going to realize that in order for us to actually take that message to this entire area, that's going to mean that we're going to we're going to be moved by the Lord to work together in ways that make sense. Saying uh, that we have uh, believers from our church in this neighborhood, that you have believers from your church in this neighborhood. How are we joining in uh, to do what's necessary in order uh, to reach the people in this in this part of the population? It might mean that that nonprofits in, in the area that are working with specific groups of people, it might mean joining with them and saying, how can we be a part of the work you're doing in order to bring the wholeness and, 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 and the change that comes only by the power of the gospel to that, that mission that you're on? And so this, this type of prayer is a, is a big prayer. It's it's a big ask, and it's one that, that changes everything. And these things are a lot to consider, uh, but I hope we can begin to dream about them together. And um, I, I honestly pray that this would become a shared desire, a shared vision. Uh, that it wouldn't just be something that a church says that you go to, um, but that it would actually become something that you're saying, and not just out loud to other people, something that you're saying from your heart and your prayer life that, that begins to become the song of your heart that begins to actually uh, become your heartbeat to join the heartbeat uh, of our Lord and, and, to, and to actually uh, pray with earnestness uh, that you would want to go, that you would see others with compassion and that you would continue to pray for others to be uh, raised up and so we leave uh, with seeing this example of Jesus, and I, I hope that we would follow him and learn from him. Um, three simple steps if you're a note taker. Let's go through them real quick. Uh, 
So the first one is to go. That's an intentional action. We're just saying we're going to go. And then to see means we're truly seeing people and being moved with compassion. And then to pray. We're praying earnestly, desiring for workers, including ourselves, to be sent out. And this would be uh, a natural place for us to stop, and any good preacher would probably know it's a good time to do that. Unfortunately, I'm not a good preacher, so I'm going to press right on, and I'm going to leave you with something else. Uh, I believe that last night in my preparation, God brought this to me, and I'd rather be obedient than skilled in the way that I presented. So, uh, last week we had we heard from Rusty uh, from Nehemiah, and he was sharing with us how with Nehemiah answering the call and rallying the people to do this work that God had for them of rebuilding the wall. Uh, he was bringing up the idea of um, the the sword and the trap, and he was saying that you know that there's this offense and this defense aspect to pursuing the work that God has for you. So there's there's knowing what it is that you have to go do. There's the work to be done, the mission He set before you. Uh, and, and you go and do that, and at the same time, there's the defense um, that you're going to have to keep up as you're doing that work. And, and we talked about how uh, that defense was against um, the flesh, the enemy, and the world. And, and these things are very real. There were, there were real specific ways that they were being attacked, and there are real specific ways that we're being attacked. And I believe that... Um, one thing I wanted to share with you in the, in the spirit of this offense and defense, if, if we're looking at uh, what has been shared, what we see Jesus doing, and, and as a byproduct calling us to do in this portion of Matthew, if we look at that as our offense, that we're going we're gonna to go and take this message and we're going to try to see people in a real way with compassion as real people and as God's children, and that we're going to pray continuously and earnestly uh, for God to mobilize us and send people out. If that's our offense, then our defense is going to be what helps us try to accomplish that. And as I was looking through the book of Matthew, leading up to this point in Matthew chapter 9, I'm going through um, this account, and I found this pattern, and I believe that this pattern is just as true for us today. So if you're a note-taker, there's alliteration here, so that's proof that the Holy Spirit is in it. Um, the pattern I want to reveal and for us to look at are, are these three things, and I believe um, that we can uh, we can live for these things, and it's not wrong for us to pursue them, uh, but in the way that we pursue them, we can be wrong and it can deter us from it. Um, so the three things are this: provision, which is for needs and safety and comfort, performance, what I can do, what I'm known for, and possession. What I have, what I can gain, and what I desire. And here's where I see it in Matthew. I'm going to move super quickly through it. I'll drop it here, and then you can go explore it more later. As Matthew unfolds, uh, we, we see Jesus being baptized in Matthew chapter 3. Matthew chapter 4, he is sent into the wilderness after fasting and facing temptation. And what do we have here? Uh, but we have the enemy come to him. And the very first place that he is tempted is provision. But after fasting, uh, in verses 2 and 3, the tempter comes to him. He says, if you're the son of God, command these stones to turn into loaves of bread. Simple provision. The 
very first thing that Jesus was tempted with. Number two, performance. Then the devil took him up to the pinnacle of the temple, and he said, If you're the Son of God, let's see what you can do. Throw yourself off here. Angels will come and protect you. So putting him to a test. Let's see what you can do. Let's see who you are. What are you known for? Number three, possession. He takes him up on the very high mountain, shows him all the kingdoms, and he says, Bow down to me. And if you do, all of, things, all of these things will be yours. Jesus, being tempted by the enemy, these three things, provision, performance, and possession. Move into chapter 5, and Jesus starts preaching about the upside-down kingdom, and basically goes through telling us what the world tells you to strive for, to be blessed by it, or X, Y, and Z. What the kingdom of God says about who will be blessed is completely the opposite. It's an upside-down kingdom. In other words, don't buy what the world is telling you to live for. Then, go to chapter 6 and 7, and, sorry, I lost my note here. Go to chapters 6 and 7, and here you have the beginning. Jesus is continuing to teach, and what is he teaching on? He's, he addresses possession, and says, don't store up treasures on earth, lay up treasures in heaven. He addresses provision. Don't be anxious about your life, what you will eat or drink. Then he addresses performance. He talks about not judging people and being judged. And instead, he offers this alternative. So if that's the defense, if that's not what you live for, don't fall into those temptations and those traps. Your life can be about pursuing those things, possession, provision, and performance. He offers this alternative. He says in 633, Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all of these things will be added to you. And then in Matthew 7, 7 and 8, he says, Ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and the door will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives, and the one who seeks finds, and to the one who knocks, it will be opened. And so, ask, seek, knock. Provision, or asking is the provision being dependent and trusting on him for his provision. Performance, what you're looking for and seeking, is found in him. What he has done, what he is doing, and what he will do. Find your identity in that. And possession, knocking, whatever your hand is reaching for, or looking for to gain for your kingdom in this life, it's not worth it. It pales in comparison to being let in to his kingdom, and, and for living for it, and in it now and forever. So I think as Jesus unfolds all of these things before sending uh, sending the church out to, to do this, these disciples, I think he's giving us a, 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 a formula here for us to be very aware. If we're going to live for his kingdom, and if we're going to be about these things, we need to avoid the temptation of living our life as if we have to provide possession, provision, and performance and pursue it with all that we are. Light of that, um, I know that that's a, an unorganized thing to throw in at the end of the sermon, but um, I truly believe that our shift in our mindset of what we're living for is just as important as us talking about what it is that we should live for. And until we're praying uh, for God to shift that for us, uh, we'll constantly be drawn into making our lives about ourselves instead of His kingdom, which means.
Jesus knows this perfectly. So, just as Jesus looked out on the crowd, then he was moved with compassion and knew that they needed a shepherd and that things needed to change, Jesus did that with you and I. He saw where we were. Uh, he came, uh, not only did, did he incarnate to put on flesh and, and come walk amongst people then, but he comes to us in our weakness now, meets us where we are, fully knows us, fully accepts us, and can fully identify with us. That's our Savior. He's a Savior filled with compassion. And, and he didn't stop there. Uh, he continues to, uh, to grow us in an understanding of his love as he even peels back the layers of where uh, we're believing these lies and he's, he's bringing this truth to us. And uh, he has done so perfectly. And not only is he the lamb of our salvation, the one who uh, laid down his life and left his life being about him so that it could be about his mission, uh, but he's, he's also the provision that we need uh, to be brought into the care and he's the shepherd himself. So uh, let's just meditate on that. He's not calling us to anything uh, that we can't do. Uh, he's not shaming us or guilting us for how we failed to do it or how we will fail going forward. Uh, but he's gently inviting us into uh, belonging to him, doing what he's done through his will, through his example, through his spirit, and by his love. And as we're growing in that awareness of how the gospel changes everything for our lives, it's going to continue to fuel us uh, to be able to take that news into all the world all around us. Uh, so let's pray together. Father, I thank you uh, for this truth. I thank you um, that there is no greater love uh, than to lay down your life. And you have shown us this, this type of love simply cannot and will not be able to emulate. Yet, Father, we, we boldly ask that you would uh, draw us away from the lies and the enticing uh, things of this world and let us know and believe that you've brought us into a kingdom for your glory uh, that will actually bring us abundance in life, uh, that will actually um, give us what it is that we're looking for, uh, that is the justice uh, in the, uh, for the unjust uh, that will right all the wrongs, all the brokenness that we've experienced, Father. There is nothing better that we have to offer to this world uh, than the name of Jesus. And I pray that you would uh, use us for that purpose, that you would stir the spirit up among us workers, that you would send us out, and that you would be glorified in his name. So now, this is the first time that I've had the opportunity to do this, but this is the, the portion of our service where uh, we would be coming to the Lord's table. And so, uh, before we come to the table, uh, I just want to ask the following questions. First, uh, you need to ask yourself, am I a follower of Jesus? Have you been brought to a place of recognizing your need for the forgiveness of your sins? and the righteousness of Christ that's available through them. And have 
forsaking pursuing the kingdom of this world living for his kingdom. Uh, and even to ask if you're unreconciled with a fellow follower of Jesus, and as, as we're talking about pursuing these deeper relationships, um, the unity that we have with one another and and the love and compassion that we can extend to one another is the starting place uh, of our mission together. So ask yourself, um, do I need to offer forgiveness or receive forgiveness for reconciliation to occur within another? And you need to ask yourself, are you at peace with a simple action or desire in your life? Ask the Spirit to reveal to you during this time that there's something uh, that you're aware of that you've become comfortable with or something that you're not aware of that maybe has even been brought up today, even an, even an apathy for the things that are above. Um, just, just pray and ask the Spirit to reveal those things now. Do so in that time. do you have that you need to bring to the table and apply the healing balm of the gospel to? What lies have you believed that you're currently believing? Things that are lies about God, the lies that this world would offer you, uh, that you've been rolled into believing. What, what are those things that you need to bring now and, and apply the truth 